Hello, everyone. This is Nahum Siegel, and welcome to this week's edition of JM Rewind, where we get an opportunity to check out some of the interviews that um, I've had the privilege of conducting during JM in the AM and bringing some of those special guests to you. I will start with uh, Dr. Ofer Merin. Dr. Merin has this uh, incredible IDF military team that he takes around the world to help uh, after natural disasters and other types of episodes. He is um, with the Shari Tzedek Medical Center in Jerusalem and gave us a perspective on uh, some of the things that have been happening with his team recently. Dr. Ofer Merin. Uh, we take a close look at that conversation here on JM Rewind at the Nahum Siegel Network. Tuesday morning broadcast at JM in the AM. Dr. Ofer Merrin is with us live via telephone. Often when we speak with him, it is uh, on the heels of some major accomplishment that uh, Israel's field hospital has uh, has done in the wake of a natural disaster uh, or the like or some other type of tragedy. Um, uh, today we get to, uh, uh, speak with him about some of the more recent events and specifically a, a, a noteworthy recognition by the United Nations, uh, for his and for the, um, a field hospital's accomplishments. Uh, he is the director of the Shari Tzedek Medical Center Trauma Department. He is, uh, Dr. Ofer Merin, who is with us live via telephone. Boker Tov, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi. Good day. Morning to everyone. The United Nations Health Agency, the WHO, following a several-month-long vetting process, granted the IDF field hospital the highest possible ranking, the only field hospital to receive the level of three. Its commander was quoted as saying, this is great pride for the IDF and the country. Dr. Marin, it must, and this is back in November, by the way, just a few weeks ago. Dr. Marin, it must be interesting to watch the political... Uh, machinations of the United Nations when when it comes to Israel vis-a-vis Israel and at the same time to accept this incredible recognition of the field hospital by a UN agency yeah well it's true I mean the first thing that everyone said that yeah not everything is with the politics this was a process that the WHO that the World Health um um, organization uh, started, um, and um, and honestly, the many uh, physicians and uh, people who came and visited our unit uh, here uh, came uh, uh, with with no political uh, agenda. Um, if you want, I, I maybe be very uh, quickly about this uh, process, so people will have. An, it's not a award. What what we got? Yeah, I'm um, I'm, I'm very they, curious. They, yeah, the WHO. Um, so it, we, we're going back six or seven years already now. When uh, after Haiti in 2010, um, oh, well, remember the disaster over there was really a, 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 a mega scale disaster with hundreds of thousands of people that died and hundreds of thousands of people which were injured. And then, from one hand, uh, many countries took. Part and, and, and a lot of people were very proud to see how the world is is, is sending in a reaching hand to help the the, the, the poor people over there. And when they looked back into the figures, they they found out that two eighteen two thousand and ten after the earthquake, there were probably something like three or four hundred different teams from around the world that came to assist over there. 
And you can take this um, effect really into two different ways. Again, as I said, from one hand to say, well, this is great, that hundreds of teams from around the world are coming and uh, giving assistance to a country that is facing um, a devastation at this scale. But when you're looking at it from the other side, they said, look, many, many of these teams came without the, the, the right professional way, meaning they came without the right people. They came without the right equipment. They came where they were not self-sufficient. They came sometimes with people that were um, very uh, young in their medical career without the understanding what is the right way to operate in a place like this. So from one hand, you can say, look, there's hundreds of thousands of people any hand is needed. So even if you just started your medical school, it's fine. Just come over there and give treatment. But the WHO said no. Especially in places like this, we need experienced teams. We need teams which are coming over there and assisting in the right way. Because if you're coming over there just saying, oh, look, there's a disaster. They need everyone. And people are coming in there with their backpacks. After two or three days, they need food. They need shelter. They need water. they teams. I mean, and then they become not people who assist the country, then they become a burden right, on the right. country. So they started six or seven year, years ago a process of saying, we are going to verify teams around the world. We don't need 400 teams to a disaster area. We need 20, 30, maybe 40, 50 teams. But these teams that we need are teams that we are going to verify. It's teams that, are, that have the understanding how to come with the right equipment, how to come with the right knowledge, what procedures they should do, and so on. Right. And I'm trying to summarize this. The bottom line, they said we are going to scale these teams into three different levels, level one, two, and three. And level three is the highest level. Um, as things are now, there are 80 something, 83 teams around the world that are within this process. Within these 83 teams around the world, Israel really got the, the pride of being the only one team that is recognized as being level three as the highest, as the highest level. So Wait, which is this, is, this is the situation that we are, that doc, we are now. Dr. Ofer Merrin is with us. He's the uh, Shari Tzedek uh, uh, director of the trauma department. Um, the, 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 so experienced personnel... Uh, sophisticated equipment, self-sufficiency, all those are extremely important, I'm, I'm sure, uh, for the team not to become a burden in an area like that. We're curious about a couple of things. The, the, the IDF hospital is called upon how often? I mean, we know about the, you know, the high profile, so to speak, natural disasters. Haiti is one that really got the field hospital onto the map in terms of the, the average person, uh, you know, who follows the news knowing about them. But, but how often are you called into service? Um, okay, so, you know, it depends, of course, of what's going around in the world, right. but I would say that, that it, it's almost every year that we have a natural disaster in the scale that this country needs assistance. So last year, it was in Nepal, year before, it was in the Philippines, two years earlier, it was in Japan, year earlier, it was in Haiti, we are assisting um, Syrians, uh, civilians, uh, in Syria that are, that are injured in this really dreadful uh, civil war that's going on for almost a, a decade now. So I would say it's almost every year that, that uh, humanitarian assistance is needed into devastated uh, countries. Um, 
this is the time that we are that we are coming in order to um, to to give humanitarian assistance. This unit is drilling every year, but but this of course is something uh, different. So I'm drilling my people. Every year, we're very strict about bringing them every year and drilling them every year. And then whenever we are, we are needed, uh, Israel is, feels it's our obligation to give a hand. No question about that. It seems Israel's always there when needed. Dr. Ofer Merin is with us. The, um, are some decisions much more difficult for the IDF, I would assume, than others? I mean, you mentioned the natural disasters, and one can almost, you know, understand why immediately the IDF is responding and sending the team, especially if it's of the magnitude like you described, if the episode is of the magnitude like you described. But but when it comes to Syrian refugees, when it comes to treating Syrian civilians, is that a much more difficult decision? I, and I know there are only certain things you could say here on the air, but are there? Are, is it a much more difficult decision for the IDF to make in terms of, in terms of uh, initiating the field hospitals activities? Um, I would cautiously say that yes. Um, for, for probably many reasons, uh, one of them, this is it's, it's, the whole incident is a different one. It's not a natural disaster that booms comes at a certain point in time. You need humanitarian assistance for a few weeks. This is the ongoing war. It's an ongoing war with a country that, as things are now, we are not with a formal relationship with. Right. So it's not like we are going to Japan or to the Philippines where, of course, the countries have um, ambassadors in each one of the countries. This yeah. is Syria and Israel are countries that are formally um, not in any uh, connection. Um, the, so it's ongoing. It's a country which, again, as I'm saying, we are formally in a state of war uh, with Syria. It's, it's bringing uh, people of Syria into the border and then into Israel, and then making sure that we are bringing uh, the right people in the sense that with the people that are coming here are coming for humanitarian assistance. They're not coming as, uh, for whatever other reasons, and to make sure that these people are going back to wherever they came from, to their, to their villages. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a more complicated uh, issue of uh, bringing them here. But again, this is, this is a purely humanitarian mission that is going on for a few years now. The IDF is taking part, and a few of the hospitals in the north of Israel is taking part as, uh, as well. How many, how many members are there in the IDF field hospital? How many people does it take to run a field hospital? So it's a few hundreds uh, to the different missions that we went in the past year from the field hospital usually go anywhere between 80 to 140 people. So this is uh, more or less the number of people that are going on these uh, missions. And you mentioned experience, you mentioned uh, sophisticated equipment, you mentioned self-sufficiency. I would guess, and again, just a layman speaking, I would guess that, that trying to establish and maintain sanitary conditions and cleanliness is also paramount. Is that something that other teams sometimes find to be a challenge, or that's or that's something that any team at this point in 2016, 2017, can go ahead and set up without a problem? Okay, exactly. So you pointed out a, a very important point. Uh, exactly. I think when I'm drilling my people every year, I, I tell them, look, I'm not um, keen, I'm not interested in bringing the people and drilling the medical perspective of this mission. I mean, okay, I can take a surgeon and bring him to the field and say, okay, you have to um, 
um, operate uh, this and this patient. They know how to do this job. I'm not bringing them in order to know how to operate a patient or how to treat a patient. The biggest challenge is to bring the right logistics to these places. And I find that many countries have this issue of, of, of the time that it takes them to bring the right logistic and how to operate with them quickly. So in this, and again, I want to cautiously say that there are many teams that by far don't want to speak up and say, oh, you know, we are the best team. But I can cautiously say that our logistics are excellent. We're able to set up a field hospital in a disaster area far away from Israel. When we're coming to a disaster zone, we can, we can, we can set a field hospital and start to treat patients anywhere between six to eight hours. So this is a very, very short time frame. Again, I cautiously say from my personal experience in many disasters around the world to the other field hospitals that I have seen in these years, it's usually a matter of a few days till they start to operate. Israel is able to set up things within hours, six, eight hours, not more. We know how to bring the right logistics. We are drilling on this, um, and, we're, and we're very quick. We have, you know, very strict uh, rules and uh, knowledge of how to do these things, um, both uh, quick and um, efficiently. Uh, I can only imagine. The United Nations Health Agency, the World Health Organization, has granted the IDF field hospital the highest possible ranking, the only field hospital to receive the level of three. Dr. Ofer Merrin directs it. He is uh, the director as well, the Shari Tzedek Medical Center Trauma Department. Uh, before I let you go, a minute about what's happening at Shari Tzedek, Dr. Merrin. Um, anything uh, to share with us recently, anything that happened in 2016 in terms of development or growth in the trauma department at Shari Tzedek that is noteworthy for our audience? Oh, yeah. So this is an exciting year for uh, for Charlotte Tzedek, a hospital that is one of the uh, uh, oldest uh, in uh, Israel, for sure in Jerusalem. It has a history of more than 110 years. So we started a new nor- neurological and neurosurgical service of uh, a unique um, designated stroke service these days all around the world, for sure around the, for, for sure in the states. Um, the way how to respond and treat patients with stroke has undergone a lot of changes within the last year with the idea what, what everyone understood about 20 years ago about the heart. I'm a heart, I'm a cardiac surgeon. Right. So people know that if someone has, um, your car, uh, um, any heart issues, they should come immediately to the hospital and we should open the vessel. This is a, a new understanding that if someone has a patient has a stroke, he should come as quick as possible to the hospital and then over there he can either be treated with uh, drugs or with neurogeology uh, treatment. This is a new um, designated service that we just started and we started a new neurosurgical department and we just started to operate on a um, neurosurgical patient just a couple of weeks ago, and this is a very big expansion and a big development for the for the hospital, for the trauma unit, and then but for every one of the patients that come here into the hospital. And we mentioned how uh, just a few days ago we mentioned on the air how the geography has worked out perfectly because now the way Jerusalem is situated in 2017, the hospital is in a perfect location to really help. Uh, practically the maximum number of people that it could service when it comes. And, and you know how important it is when it comes to uh, this type of episode, a stroke episode, you know how important speed is in those instances. So it's uh, it's certainly well located, the hospital at this point. 
Yep. I thank you very much for joining us. Mazal Tov on the recognition by the UN. Continued success at Sharet Sedek. Send our regards to everybody there. We're always impressed when we visit. And Kolak Avod, what you, uh, between the hospital and the IDF Field Hospital, uh, it is amazing how uh, you and your team represent the Jewish people to the rest of the world. We take great pride in that. Todarabah. Thank you very much for the talk. And have a nice day, everyone. Doctor, have a good morning. Dr. Ofer Merin. Sharit Sedek Medical Center, the director of trauma and um, um, more accurately, right, the director of the Sharit Sedek Medical Center Trauma Department and uh, his um, incredible accomplishment, recognition by the United Nations, which is a pretty amazing accomplishment, uh, and really by the rest of the world of the IDF Medical Corps Field Hospital, which he leads, which he commands. It has achieved the highest ranking by the WHO, the only field hospital to receive the level of three. Mazal Tov to Dr. Merrin, Mazal Tov to the IDF Field Hospital, and Mazal Tov to everybody at Sharit Sedek Medical Center who continue to take great pride uh, in their staff's incredible work. That was Dr. Ofer Merrin of the Sharit Sedek Medical Center in Jerusalem. Rabbi Jerry Eisenberg was among our guests recently. Rabbi Eisenberg is uh, associated with the Mizrahi World Movement and is one of the people that's encouraging Jews around the world to be in Israel for Yom Yerushalayim 2017 for the 50th anniversary of the reunification of Jerusalem. Here was my conversation with our Jerry Eisenberg for you on JM Rewind here at the Nachum Siegel Network. Rabbi Jerry Eisenberg is with us live via telephone. We get to speak about Jerusalem. That's right, we get to speak about Jerusalem on this uh, Tuesday morning broadcast. And what better topic is there than Jerusalem? We're now in 2017. We're getting closer and closer to the third week in May. The third week in May, starting on May 22nd, the Mizrahi uh, invites you, World Mizrahi invites you to participate in something that we're going to be participating in, and that is the uh, big mission, the mega mission to Israel for Yom Yerushalayim on May 24th. It'll be the 28th of ER, and it'll be officially the 50th anniversary of the reunification of Jerusalem. Rabbi Jerry Eisenberg, who's based in Chicago, is executive director of the Mizrahi Religious Zionists of Chicago, and he's with us live via telephone. Good morning, uh, Shalom, and welcome to JM in the AM. Good morning. Thank you very much. It's a real pleasure to be on your program and to be able to speak about uh, Yerushalayim and what's going on in Mizrahi. I greatly appreciate that. First of all, talk about what's going on in Mizrahi. Um, It it, it seems, and really, this comment is coming from all corners of the world, uh, which you would know because you probably hear these comments like I do. Uh, it is amazing how the Mizrahi movement and organization is going through this incredible revitalization. How does it seem? How does it look from your vantage point? Well, that's 100% correct. There's a rejuvenation that's going on worldwide uh, through a number of different uh, branches and uh, chapters throughout the, uh, throughout the world. Uh, here in the United States, uh, we've, uh, Baruch Hashem, been able to really rejuvenate what's going on in Chicago. It was always one of the strongest uh, branches of Mizrahi, uh, and uh, we've gotten involved with many different things, uh, educational programs. We started a lecture series on the foundations of religious Zionism. It's actually on our website. Uh, we're on our 20th uh, lecture once a month. It's a great program. And uh, we've, we've asked the question, you know, people have asked, what is a religious Zionist? Right. And I'd like to answer that question by asking, like usual, two questions. First, I ask a person, does he believe that Medina Yisrael, the state of Israel, is a gift from the Rabboni Shalom? And inevitably, the answer comes back, yes. And then I say, well, 
Do you believe you have the second question? Do you believe you have an achrayas to express hakor satov for the rabbonu shalom for a gift you received? And the answer comes back yes. And I said, okay, you're a religious Zionist. <laughs> That's all it really takes. <laughs> it's not a question of what type of kippah you wear, yarmulke you wear, what you, what you, how you daven on yom atzmaut. That is very important and important stuff, and and and, and really. Um, worth pursuing, but the basic core is, do you feel that you have to express a korsatov to the Rabbanu Shalom for the state of Israel, which we've prayed for for a thousand years, thousands of years? And, and the answer is yes, let's figure out how to do it. Uh, advocacy, support, education, of course, Aliyah's number one priority. So there's so many things that we're involved with trying to get people to understand here's an opportunity. We're, Mizrahi is an umbrella organization to try to put the religious Zionist voice into the Zionist uh, idea and to try to figure out how to express that, of course. Rabbi Jerry Eisenberg with us, Executive Director of Mizrahi Religious Zionists of Chicago. Uh, and then, you know, you mentioned Israel, of course, and that is obviously the, the, the major focus. Then we have this Incredible focus coming up in May uh, on the city of Yerushalayim and the uh, 50th anniversary of the reunification of Jerusalem. It's incredible. It's not just, it's a rejuvenation that's taking place that has led to an enthusiasm, it seems, a real enthusiasm out there to come to Israel together and be there at the same time from all different parts of the U.S. and other parts of the world, and in this case for the 50th anniversary. Are you getting that feeling? Are you getting the feeling that as Mizrahi announced this mega mission, that there's a groundswell of support coming from so many different areas, specifically for that week in May? Well, absolutely. We're feeling it strongly here in Chicago. Uh, we started to launch the information about it immediately. People contacted us and said, oh, how do I get involved? I'm going to be there. Can I participate this way, that way? Uh, People are calling me up exactly one of the dates. I want to make my plane reservations. I've got to make the hotel reservations. We're expecting uh, over a thousand people coming from Chutzlarts, uh, from uh, United States, uh, England, Australia, South Africa, uh, Canada. So many different opportunities, so many different places, and people who are who have said that we want to come. The opening event. They, they're looking at two, three thousand people that are going to be at the opening event. The Day long, that's Monday night, uh, May 22nd. Right. Uh, in the evening, May 23rd. On Tuesday, there's an international Jerusalem conference that'll be taking place. They're looking at something like 3,000 people they're expecting. And then it just builds and builds and builds. And we get into Yom Yushalayim. Uh. One of the highlights, we really think one of the big highlights is going to be Yom Yushalayim in the morning, joining all the Shivot Hezder and the leadership in, in, in having a Yom Yerushalayim Tzilah at the Kotel. We're talking about, who knows, 5,000 people who are going to be there davening. It's amazing. And then going through the rest of the program on Yom Yerushalayim that's part of the, uh, the government and the city and the, and the different celebrations that are part of the national and municipal events that are taking place. And the ultimate's got to be this mega flag march, the Rikud Galim, that's going to lead, I don't know, 100,000 people or more who are going to be walking through the streets of Yerushalayim uh, and ending up at the, uh, in, the, in the old city. It's, it's going to be an amazing event. Just an amazing event. Just, really a once-in-a-lifetime Oh, event. that's for sure. That, when you, they, they talk about a once-in-a-lifetime event, it is so true. Just talking about it is getting me completely uh, excited for this incredible mission it's this year in Jerusalem, everybody. It's as simple as that. And Rabbi Jerry Eisenberg and many other leaders of Mizrahi want to make sure the word gets out. And we are spreading the word and reminding you that I will be there. We will be there with our team. 
We will have live broadcasts from Israel. It's going to be a unique and incredible mega mission, and you can be there as part of the 50-year celebration of a reunited Jerusalem this coming Yom Yerushalayim. It leaves officially May 22nd, but as we pointed out last week, it's now 2017. People have the a lot more flexibility and want to make sure they go early or stay late or whatever the case may be. You can arrange all of that just by contacting the Mizrahi office. Uh, go to the website for information, Mizrahi.org slash YY50, Mizrahi.org slash YY50. And Rabbi Eisenberg, I have been trying uh, to, you know, you, and, and rightfully so, you're seeing and expecting uh, groups, schools, organizations, uh, men's clubs, sisterhoods, schools, you know, you're seeing groups being put together. But even for those who are not able to put together an entire group, let them at least send a representation of their group or their shul. Or if they're in a smaller community listening in from around the country, let them as well, you know, sponsor a couple of people at least to go and report back to the synagogue on the incredible celebration that uh, will have taken place, Yom Yerushalayim. We're trying to encourage every aspect of the Jewish community to be represented there on May 24th. Absolutely. I, I think one of the, the things that's going to really come out of this is the people who are going to be attending are going to be supercharged. Yep. Those people who are going to be returning back to, to Hutzlor, it's wherever it's going to be, they're going to come back to their communities absolutely glowing, yep. absolutely supercharged. Imagine walking with your own feet in your Yerushalayim. It's just like a Liala Regal. It's just like seeing all these people going together on a day that celebrates once in 50 years, uh, uh, putting together the entire Jewish community of the world with representatives coming from everywhere, and you're part of that, and you watch that, and you and you just it's never going to be repeated in your lifetime, and it's going to be something that's that's you're going to come back just not just glowing, but just really charged and 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 helping our organization Mizrahi and all other organizations that are working on behalf of Israel. They're going to just have that kind of extra energy that. There's no other way to compare it. And by the way, Israel is going to be the beneficiary because more and more people are going to plan trips after they hear about these these trips, and they're going to want to get to Israel as soon as possible after people come back and tell them about it. So this will really spur on a tremendous amount of tourism and interest in Israel. Everyone can play a part in it. Go to Mizrahi.org slash YY50. Rabbi Eisenberg, what's happening in the city of Chicago? Last time we were there, we were broadcasting in September. We were very impressed with how incredible a community it is. Is it... Uh, uh, is is it doing just as well now as it was back then? Uh, probably better. Baruch <laughs> Hashem, uh, the Jewish community, the Orthodox community is is just uh, exploding in in, uh, in shuls and, and in community activities and programming and learning opportunities uh, for both uh, religious people and people who are. I like to say there's two types of people: religious and those who aren't religious yet. <laughs> and uh, the joint programs that are working together. Uh, it's amazing uh, what we uh, what's going on here, and and we're very proud to be part of. Of, uh, as I say, an umbrella organization tying together uh, Nefesh Benefesh, Stand With Us, JNF, all the Yeshivot, the YU Kolotor Metzion here, many other organizations working together with us on behalf of advocacy support uh, for the state of Israel. Um, we've got uh, an Israeli comedy show that we're bringing in, uh, produced by World Mizrahi. It's going to take place in three weeks here at a theater. It is uh, an amazing opportunity 
to have a response to what's going on with the BDS movement, with the problems and difficulties that are happening at the UN. And it's basically saying, you know, the name of the program is Staying Alive. And they, right. their, their tagline is, we're just, uh, you know, here's a, uh, Israel has a temerity to go on living a normal life and insist on forever, staying alive. It's going to be an unbelievable program using a, a weapon that hasn't been used yet in this uh, battle, and that's comedy. So this is something that was produced by World Mizrahi. It's going to be taking place in three weeks. It's just a, it's just a tremendous opportunity to um, get together with uh, similar people and younger people, too. It's what we're reaching out to a, a whole younger audience with this type of programming to uh, get the message out there and get people excited about what we need to do to help support our state. Kolakavod, amazing. Looking forward to spending time in yeah. Jerusalem with you. We're by Jerry Eisenberg, Executive Director Mizrahi Religious Zionist of Chicago. He'll be there. Make sure you are there. We will be there. If you have any uh, any questions at all, go to the website, Mizrahi.org slash YY50. You can email YY50 at Mizrahi.org. Rabbi Eisenberg, I thank you so much for joining us. Have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you so much. More coming up. You're listening to JM in the AM. That was my conversation with Rabbi Jerry Eisenberg. Uh, next up, we have an interview I did recently with Scott Feltman of the One Israel Fund describing how important the uh, medical center in the Benjamin region is it going to be for the residents of that area. Scott Feltman of the One Israel Fund, our next guest here on JM Rewind at the Nahum Siegel Network. JM in the AM Wednesday morning. Well, we've been telling you that the uh, One Israel Fund has um, a massive event going on this weekend. You're all invited. This coming Saturday night, the One Israel Fund has Play for Israel. A game night and Israeli auction at the Woodmere Club on Meadow Drive in Woodmere, New York. It starts at 8.30 p.m. this coming Saturday night. Many distinguished members of the community on the committee. Many people coming out to support the One Israel Fund. Uh, for details, you can go to the website, oneisraelfund.org, oneisraelfund.org. Scott Feltman, who is the executive vice president of the One Israel Fund, is with us live via telephone on this Wednesday morning. Scott, welcome back to JM in the AM. Always a pleasure. It's so interesting and exciting to be on the digital format now. I greatly appreciate that. Yes, yes, yes. Exciting is the right word. Um, all right. Uh, first, before we talk about the event Saturday night, the One Israel Fund activities are amazing and incredible. We had a chance to outline some of them around the time of the dinner. Why not give everyone out there an update on some of the things that are going on under the One Israel Fund umbrella? Well, the one that's actually really pertinent to this conversation today because the event is actually supporting it, and you were a great big push to get it started uh, at the dinner, is the new medical center that we are about to build in the Binyamin region. Uh, since the dinner, and with your help, we already have over a million dollars in pledges, and we're looking forward to starting to break ground sometime in the spring once the zoning issues are dealt with with the Israeli Land Authority. And pretty soon there's going to be a brand-new state-of-the-art medical center in the heart of Binyamin, which is the largest regional council in all of Israel. 65,000 residents today live without any quality medical services. And we at One Israel Fund are going to change that dramatically. So that's the main event, right? you know, the flagship project that we're working on. And at the same time, uh, also from the dinner, thanks in part to you, uh, a new Kina Chama is about to be built in the Tapuach Junction up in the Shomron. We're working on building two synagogues right now, a bunch of mikvot. We have a new playground opening in Mitzvah Dani and a couple of others in the works. Um, we're 
moving forward with our armored, armored medic vest campaign with medic vests, uh, armored medic vests on every ambulance throughout Judea and Samaria. Lots going on. It's interesting because, and we pointed this out, you know, so many times, so many people uh, associate one Israel fund with being there for the security needs of Judea and Samaria, and of course they are. Uh, but there's so many other things, as you just outlined, so many other projects and so many things on an ongoing basis that are going on uh, to help support and grow communities, including parks and synagogues. And people have to keep that in mind. And if you go to the oneisraelfund.org website, you can get more details about all of this. And by the way, once the funding is in place, uh, how long would it take to build the medical center? Let's say for a moment, let's dream that money would not be an issue. How long would it take to actually build the medical center? So the way it's being built is somewhat modular. So the, uh, the trauma center is going to go up first. And actually, that should be up and running within a year wow. uh, if, fund, if funding wasn't an issue. Uh, the entire project, which is a 30,000-square-meter facility, uh, it's probably going to take between two and three years to build. Uh, but like I said, we're doing it modular, right. and we already have a decent amount of pledges and, and money collected. So we should be able to continue on that timeline. We're hoping to have the whole thing built within a three-year period. Yeah, even the... Uh Three years sounds like a short amount of time for a facility like that. So everybody out there, if you go to the website and make a donation, you know you're going to be supporting something that's very necessary and it's going to be really an incredible structure in the Binyamin region. Uh, go to oneisraelfund.org. You'll see on the top right you can make a donation to help support the cause. All right, this another way people could support the cause, and as you said, directly uh, support the uh, the medical center is by having a good time this coming Saturday night. That's what you're. That's what you're asking people to do. Come have a, <laughs> and have a nice time. It's the Play for Israel game night. The Play for Israel game night and Israeli auction happening this Saturday night at eight thirty at the Woodmere Club on Meadow Drive in Woodmere, New York. All right, tell everybody what is a game night and what's an Israeli auction. Okay, so in essence, basically, what we've done is we've taken the concept of a Chinese auction and we've changed it slightly to make it a little bit more exciting. Uh, we have a bunch of different adult type of games. Um, you would say casino games. Uh, people get to play different uh, card games. They cash in their winnings for tickets at the end of the night, and they then place their tickets into Chinese auction-style uh, boxes to win amazing prizes, uh, prizes that really only one Israel fund can deliver, such as a private evening with a vintner, uh, a winemaker from Israel over dinner, uh, we also have a sports package of a lifetime where people can go to uh, almost any sporting event in the country uh, with airfare and uh, um, what you hotels included. Uh, we have a uh, uh, terrific lady day, a spa day. Um, but it really is just a fun night out. People have a good time. They play the games. They have a chance to win prizes. Lavish buffet. Uh, Jay Buckstam from Royal Wine will be there with an upscale wine tasting. Nice. Um, and we just try to make it a really enjoyable time to get the young people out supporting the cause. Uh, that's not to say that only young people can come. Uh, everybody's <laughs> welcome. But it's a real way of us reaching a new, dem- uh, a new uh, younger and different demographic than really uh, would be coming, to, let's say, the one is off on dinner. Well, you have uh, chair people and event committee members that, you know, uh, uh, are, are, you know, at, at every age level, let's put it that way, in, in our community. So, yes, everybody should feel comfortable, no matter how young or older they may be, uh, to come on out and enjoy a great night together. Play for Israel game night and Israeli auction happens this Saturday night at the Woodmere Club on Meadow Drive in Woodmere, New York. I guess the best way to get information is to uh, is to go to the website, right? Oneisraelfund.org. Yeah, either the website or they can call our office. Uh, the office staff is there 
straight through, 516-239-9202. 516-239-9202. Again, that's 516-239-9202. It's the Play for Israel game night, an Israeli auction presented by the One Israel Fund. Everybody out there, uh, it's not just a matter of uh, what we normally tell you to support all of the great projects that the One Israel Fund undertakes for Jews of Judea. Yes, go ahead. There is one important piece of information because there was some confusion with people who did receive the invitation. Yeah. If they sign up by tonight online, they get a $20 discount per person. So it's only $180 per person. And that includes the, uh, I think it's $250 in play money to, uh, to start the evening off. So it's $180 tonight. After tonight, it goes up to $200 per person uh, after tonight and at the door. Okay. So it's... Uh, you know, it behooves people to try to get on the bandwagon and get there today so that they get that discount. All right, anybody who goes to the oneisraelfund.org website now or anytime today can take advantage of that discount to get $20 off of the admission price. And as I was saying, it's not just uh, supporting the One Israel Fund and all the projects that they undertake, but in this case, you have an amazing opportunity to support the Benjamin Region uh, Medical Center, which is going to be such an important addition uh, to that area of Israel. Saturday night at the Woodmere Club, One Israel Funds Play for Israel Game Night, an Israeli auction. Go go now to the website and take advantage of the offer because today and only today you could save 20 bucks off admission per person if you go to the website and take advantage of the opportunity. It's oneisraelfund.org, oneisraelfund.org, the word one, O-N-E, israelfund.org, and you can also dial 516-239-9202, 516 Nine two zero two. Scott Feltman is executive vice president of the One Israel Fund. Scott, I I wish you a lot of success. I hope Saturday night is a massive success. Nachum, I hope we're as much of a success as you've been, <laughs> and uh, certainly with the uh, with the new format, my kids love listening on the app. So uh, <laughs> much success to you too. Send them our best, or in this case, I could send the best. Uh, and thank you there so you much. Go. Good luck on Saturday night, Scott Feltman. He'll be there, everybody. January seventh at the Woodmere Club. Take advantage and be there for Play for Israel. The big game night in Israeli auction. Plenty more coming up on a Wednesday morning here at JM in the AM. That was my conversation with Scott Feltman of the One Israel Fund. Coming up next, a recent conversation we had with Michael Fragan, our very own Michael Fragan of Spin Class, who knows so much about the world of politics. The inauguration of our new president takes place this Friday. And uh, Michael Fragan had uh, some comments and observations about the transition that's going on now in Washington, D.C. Michael Fragan, he was a recent guest of mine on JM in the AM. Here he is on JM Rewind at the Nahum Siegel Network. Michael Fragan's with us live via telephone. As we've been saying, we have an amazing lineup uh, all through Thursday, really every day. But Thursday's extra special. We get to introduce to you every single Thursday some great uh, radio hosts. Michael Fragan at 930 this morning after Charlie Harari. And Unlocking Greatness will uh, commence his spin class class. <laughs> uh, and today he'll do a 2016 year in review with a special guest. And we'll talk about that and plenty of other things. Michael Fragan, political editor, I'll say, here at the Nahum Siegel Network with us live via telephone. Michael, good morning to you, sir. Good morning, Nahum. Am I right that at this point, except for president, most of the um, uh, elected officials who were elected in the most recent elections are now sworn in and have been uh, uh, have been installed in their respective positions? Uh, that's certainly the case for Congress. Uh, in the case of most legislatures, that's the, that, that is the same. I do believe that in certain states there are 
uh, constitutionally. They, they delay the start of their year to the beginning of whatever legislative session, and that legislative session is not always going to be in the first week uh. of January, sometimes the second week of January. So in some cases, that might not. But on federal offices, everybody is in place aside from the president. Well, the uh, yeah, so you know what we're anticipating, of course, and that's January 20th. It's going to be interesting to uh, see what happens in the first few days and weeks of the Trump presidency. I don't recall after the election back in November when I asked you about, you know, what you anticipate for this transition. You know, I don't recall exactly what you said, but uh, could you give us, if you remember, could you give us what you thought this transition would be like once he was elected? And in fact, from your vantage point, what it has been like now that we're already in uh, the beginning of January? Well, Donald Trump has continued to be unpredictable. So any predictions that anybody has usually should last for about perhaps a half hour, and then you should go rethink. Uh, you should go back to the drawing board. Uh, what, what, what has happened so far? Uh, we have a very white male cabinet, uh, which is not unexpected, a very, very wealthy, incredibly wealthy cabinet. Right. Um, I mean, just the, the scale of the level of wealth in the cabinet is is somewhat is unprecedented and you have a, a number of interesting picks but you know right now you have uh, the the real story about the transition as it continues to be is not even the picks although we'll start to see hearings on them is is really just Trump himself it continues to uh, i think dominate the news through tweeting and as he did during the campaign and they one would have thought that somebody would grab his phone from him and say let's stay disciplined until january 20th but that hasn't happened i think the russia issue is going to be huge distraction it's actually a huge issue for several of his nominees with regard to the confirmation hearings uh... they might run into trouble particularly rex tillerson who's very close with russia but it's going to be the question for a number of the nominees uh... in the senate and democrats and republicans are both incredibly skeptical of trump's approach to russia and to vladimir putin and you have a situation right now that donald trump the president-elect is openly uh, disdainful of the U.S. intelligence apparatus and seems to just be unwilling to, to be taking sides, at least optically, he's taking sides with WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange, as absurd as that sounds, against the U.S. intelligence apparatus. So we will see what happens. But right now, that that's what's dominating the transition. Uh, I, and, I, I, I'm on, on different, um, uh, just from my limited experience, I could speak to the topic of how different um, um, government officials are when they are, you know, in a position where they've been elected and they haven't been installed yet, uh, haven't been inaugurated yet, as compared to once they've already taken office. Uh, do you? But it sounds from the way you're putting it, it sounds like you're somewhat skeptical that that's going to be the case in the Trump, uh, in the Trump case that he may not be that much different after January twentieth. Well, everybody said, and throughout the campaign, it was said over and over that he would change, and he would change as a candidate, and he would change to, you know, to become more presidential, and that hasn't happened. What the formula, he believes in the formula that got him here, which, uh, which, which makes sense. I guess, you know, it's like a football team, you know, football team on the way to the, to the Super Bowl. Uh, you don't change up in the middle of the playoffs, and he's almost, and he's there, and he, he won, and saying, why do I need to change it? Now, perhaps the gravity of the situation, uh, will, will, uh, 
will temper him somewhat. But it, you, the, every day you hear about some you know open disagreements. But the bottom line is Trump is in charge. And I think that that is certainly the case. He is very much in charge of his uh, presidency, he's very, or his presidency-elect. He's very much in charge. He's picking the people who he wants to pick, and that's very clear, uh, based on a number of picks that we've seen. He's right. picking the people that he wants to pick, and he's doing it his way. Right. And that he's allowed to. He has discretion as president. Uh, will we see some confirmation, some very heated confirmation battles? Uh, very possible that we will. Uh, although Republicans do have the votes to go ahead and confirm, uh, well, they don't. They have the numbers. They don't necessarily have the votes because it only takes three Republicans to go ahead to defect, assuming the Democrats stay united, uh, to torpedo any single nominee. Uh, Michael Fragan with us. Spin class coming up next hour. Um, I know you have limited time. But let me do this before we talk about today's show. Uh, when you see the what seems to be relative enthusiasm coming out of Israel, and I would say relative enthusiasm coming out of the uh, members of the community that make up this audience traditionally uh, for the Trump presidency, are you enthusiastic yourself? Are you skeptical? Are you puzzled? How would you describe it? Uh, I'm enthusiastic at this point, particularly after... Uh, Obama slash Kerry or and or or both of them, their their absolute betrayal of Israel at the UN. It's uh, I, I think it's what happened was shameful. Uh, not just the abstention and the veto, but on top of that, the speech that Kerry gave was not a speech that you give uh, regarding an ally. You don't shame an ally. Uh, publicly in the world. They, they don't do that to anybody else. There was no speech about Syria. There was no speech about anything. There's no speech about anybody else. For some reason, Israel is the only one who gets it. Uh, you know, I am very, I am very enthusiastic about the approach to Israel and that we'll have. Although, you know, we'll see. I, I, I am nervous always uh, about the temperamental nature of, of Trump and, you know, how he tends to change positions very, very quickly. Hopefully that won't happen with Israel. I think David Friedman is, is, a, is, a, is a good pick, uh, you know, for those of us of, this, of uh, this particular ideology. And I think it'll show the world that the U.S. is willing to stand by Israel when they haven't, uh, and previously, in the previous administration. So it's definitely a good message. I am concerned about Israeli politics, if you just from that perspective, that if the U.S. government is too far to the right, of the Israeli public, that does pose some problems for Israel and uh, kind of box them in because ultimately it's Israel that has to figure out some of these problems. It, it, you, remind me, you remind me, I, I don't know if it was earlier this week or late last week, I think it was late last week, there was an op-ed in the New York Times, I forgot who wrote it, that it could be the worst thing for Netanyahu, that the, the Trump victory, which I thought was an interesting perspective. I think that's uh, sort of what you're alluding to. Yes. I mean, although I do think, I, you know, despite the fact that all these people are, all people on the left are absolutely apoplectic about David Friedman, uh, he, he's a brilliant man, he's a smart man, he's a committed person, and he's not the type who's going to try and blow up uh, the Israeli government uh, for his own personal motivations. Uh, I think he wants what's best for the Jewish people and for the state of Israel. All right. Uh, I don't mean to interrupt, but I know you're on limited time. Just wanted to get a word about today's show. I know uh, former yeah. former New York State Assemblyman Phil Goldfeder is going to be joining you. 9.30 Eastern time this morning right here, under an hour from now. What can people expect? Oh, we're just going to go through the year in review. What, what was, you know, what was 
unusual, what was noteworthy. Uh, clearly, the ascendance of Donald Trump is, is the biggest political story. But there are some other stories as, as we go along. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, one thing I think Goldfeder uh, will be well attuned to is talking about how the Democrats have lost the white middle class and uh, that that and the white vote uh, his his district the one he did represent is is that type of Trump voter um, has a very uh, you know Trump to for New York City did very very well in his district so we're going to talk about that we'll talk about a wide range of topics as much as we can stuff into a half hour all right and by the way last night I I heard someone say that those um those Democratic senators from red states are going to have to be very careful when it comes to things like uh, opposing Donald Trump's Supreme Court nominees because it really could affect them in their own elections. I never really thought of that, that the Trump ripple effect could really uh, be noticed when it comes to those red states that supported him. Oh, yeah. Well, the, you're, already, you're already seeing that in a lot of cases uh, with, you know, you have a number of senators, uh, Heidi Heitkamp from, from uh, uh, South Dakota, as well as Joe Manchin in West Virginia, and uh, Bob Casey in Pennsylvania, uh, Sherrod Brown in Ohio. These are all states that Trump did very well in. They are all potentially vulnerable and po- uh, po- uh, I'm sorry, incumbents, uh, as well as Bill Nelson in Florida. I mean, you have a lot of Democratic senators at risk, and it's going to be an interesting balancing act for New York's Chuck Schumer as the leader, as Democratic leader, to try and, you know, uh, navigate this, keep his conference together, but at the same time, worrying about these vulnerable members. Thank you, Michael. Good luck today. Thank you, Malcolm. Have a great day. That was my recent conversation with Michael Fragan about the transition in Washington as we get set to inaugurate a brand new president this coming Friday. Very recently on JM and the AM and the Nahum Single Network, we announced uh, something that everybody was anxious to hear, and that is uh, who the performer, who the star of the 2017 Kosher Halftime Show will be. And the answer, of course, Aryeh Kunstler. Aryeh Kunstler has been announced as the star of the 2017 Halftime Show, the Kosher Halftime Show. We will be recording that and making it available to the public at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Super Bowl Sunday uh, through our website, NahumSiegel.com, and through social media, etc., etc. Um, in honor of Aryeh Kunstler agreeing to uh, do the Kosher Halftime Show and um, having this unique role, being the star of the Kosher Halftime Show 2017, a little bit of Aryeh Kunstler music for you right here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Shoot, you're a hammy 
And I call out for answers Over the ocean's roar And I try to find a reason The waves crash against the shore And the question still comes back to me How could this occur? I look above to my creator It's only then that I am sure My Listening to this edition of JM Rewind, uh, an opportunity for all of us to revisit some of the conversations we've had recently on JM in the AM. JM Rewind is a production of the Nahum Siegel Network. I thank you so much for tuning in. Plenty more coming up here on NSN all through the day. Make sure to stay tuned in. My name is Nahum Siegel. Thank you for listening to the Nahum Siegel Network.